All right, our format over the next uh, few weeks, uh, because this um, content that, that we're going to be doing is uh, hopefully going to be something we can preserve and then, and then share the recordings of. Not everybody who wants to be here can be here. So for the next few weeks, for about 20 minutes, I'll present some material for your thought and reflection and instruction and edification. And then we'll save the last 10 minutes of our time together to do interaction. If we try to do interaction, uh, it doesn't make for a good recording. So we'll turn, we'll turn the recording off, uh, essentially, after, after about 20 minutes. We'll get the content out, and then, and then we'll have follow-up or discussion. So if you have any questions or thoughts or comments or um, anything that you want to add, please write it down, save it, and then, and then we'll open up for discussion at the end. Um, so let's hear from God's Word just a few sections of Scripture uh, from Deuteronomy first. I'm going to read three different sections of Scripture. From Deuteronomy, of course, this is when Moses is giving the law to the generation that is about to go into the land of Canaan. And here now, so Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before Yahweh your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear Yahweh your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear Yahweh your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. A little bit later in the book of Joshua, they follow up on this and they read God's law. And then in uh, Joshua chapter 8, verse 35, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. And then much later in Joel, in the little um, minor prophet of Joel, um, we are in need of a, a reformation and revival, a sacred assembly, and this is what Joel calls for, um, or Yahweh calls for this through the prophet Joel. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to Yahweh weep before the porch and the altar and let them say, spare your people, O Yahweh, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And so there, the little ones are even called to assemble with the sacred assembly, with the priests, and everyone is to cry out to God. So why do we have our children in worship with us on the Lord's Day? Why don't we have children's church where our children can go do something that's maybe a little bit more tailored to their frame, a little bit more tailored to their attention span. Um, why don't we get them out of the sanctuary where the adults can better focus on what is being said and done in worship? Because when you have infants and toddlers in worship, 
there are going to be noises. There are going to be distractions. They are going to cry. They're going to squirm. They're going to need correction and attention. Little ones are going to have to be attended to. They have needs. Doesn't it make more sense then to quarantine the noise and the squirming and the distractions and allow the adults to worship in peace? Doesn't that make more sense? Well, we have to first ask, what are we doing when we assemble together in worship? If we can answer that question, then maybe we can answer whether children belong among us or not. Because if the gathered worship of the church is to be like a classroom or a concert hall or a library or a fancy dinner party, if that is the model for what we're doing together, any of those, then maybe we would have a conversation about why children uh, shouldn't be a part of that, why that doesn't make sense. But the worship of the people of God is more than an intellectual activity. It's more than a performance. It's more than a fancy social engagement. In worship, God's people, all of God's people, are required to present themselves before the triune God who reigns over all creation. We all together, as you've seen in the scriptures repeatedly, as I've just read, all are invited into God's presence to hear him speak, to be forgiven by him, to bring their gifts and petitions and praises, to be restored to fellowship at his table, and then to be sent back out with his blessing. And so when this happens, little ones are specifically required to be present. The little ones are specifically included. They have an explicit invitation from God to be there. And as we read in Deuteronomy, so that they and their children can grow up learning how to hear and obey God's voice. Psalm 148 calls for all of creation to praise the name of Yahweh, including both men and women and old men and children, all of creation, everyone. Um, Psalm 8 says, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, God has ordained strength to silence the enemy and the avenger. So babies, it, from the Psalms, we know this, babies have a capacity to trust the Lord. They have a duty to praise their creator. And the bonus is their cries silence and oppose the enemy. The, the presence of babies among us is an act of defiance and it's an act of opposition to all the forces of death and hell. When we worship with babies in our midst, we are opposing Satan himself who has declared war on the woman and her offspring. Going into worship without our babies is like going into warfare without our most potent weapons. That's just the reality. And, and we realize that as we do that, that a room full of babies is going to sound like a room full of babies, right? That's, that's going to happen. We want this. We encourage this. We want um, our children there. And, and while over the next several weeks, I want to give some pointed instruction and some, um, and some practical instruction, I want everybody, uh, especially those of you with young children, to know that those of us with older children, we've all been there. We have all been there with a squirmy, um, unhappy child on our laps who we're trying to, um, try, trying to train to worship. And it was worth it. Every minute was worth it. It was so important. This job that we're doing is critical. 
that doesn't make it any less challenging. And I remember feeling like with my son on my lap that this was going to be the rest of my life, that we were just going to have to be training this little child to just, just be quiet for a minute. Can you be quiet for a minute, just a minute? I thought that was it. And in fact, you look back now and it's just a blip. It's just a blip on our memory. But when you're in the middle of it, it's difficult. So um, the, I'm gonna get to that in just a minute. Um, <laughs> the environment of worship is not a lecture or an opera. The, the environment of worship is not a fancy restaurant. We, it's none of those things. I think we'll all agree on that. But the environment of worship is also, it's not a playground. It's not a Chuck E. Cheese. It's not, it's not a noisy bar. If you've ever been in a, in a noisy bar where you know, a guy's playing guitar and singing and, or, or a, no, a noisy restaurant, was like, I wanna listen to the music, but everybody's talking and everybody's loud um, around you and uh, you can't hear. Um, in Nehemiah 8, when Ezra reads the book of the law, there's a special attention given to the way that the word is read distinctly. They give the sense and they help everyone to understand the reading. And then we hear in, in Nehemiah there that all the people's ears were attentive to the book of the law. They all answer. They all respond to the law. They say amen and amen and they lift up their hands and they bow their faces down to the ground. This isn't a time before amplifiers. This isn't a time before, this isn't in a time before microphones. It's in a crowd of people and everybody is able to hear the reading of the law and pay attention and respond to what's being read. So what that means is that we know that there were little ones in these crowds in the Bible and everybody was able to hear and know what's going on. So, so in any size crowd of people, there must be some mutual self-denial and grace and consideration given in order for these things to happen. Be because the goal is to both have babies and small children with us and to be able to actively listen and engage in worship. So it's encouraging to read all these passages where um, these occasions in scriptures where we learn people have been doing this for a very long time. People have figured out how to both listen to God's word and train children to, to worship at the same time, how both to have children in worship and how to hear. So the first guiding principle, and, and I'd like to focus um, substantial time on this now, is the, the first guiding principle uh, that I would like to explore is that in worship, I must exercise myself both to be indistractable and undistracting. This is my job, this is my duty. Every Lord's Day, every time God's word is being read, every time it's being preached, I must be indistractable and undistracting. Now for the most part, what we're talking about is on the Lord's Day, we're talking about the parts of the worship service where listening is required, which is during the reading of the word and during, during the, the sermon. Um, participatory parts of the service, like when we're singing, like when we're praying together, uh, like when we're eating and drinking or when we're uh, collecting an offering, Particip participatory parts of the liturgy are left, less difficult to get through with little ones because they have something to do 
you have something to do. Everyone else is doing something during the participatory parts of the service. And if your little one goes off script during the time when everybody's doing something, well, then it's, it's less noticeable. In fact, it's kind of endearing when the little saints are a beat behind on the amen or they're a beat behind on the prayers or when they just belt out the parts of the hymn that they have memorized because they can't read, but they know that part and they belt it out. That is all, that is all wonderful. They shout uh, the part of the creed that they know. It means that they're learning. So participatory parts of the liturgy are not usually where we have difficulty. It's only when listening is required. What, what about when listening is required? And that's what I really want to focus on. So, so the, the general principles I'm giving, I'm talking about when God's word is being read and during the sermons when listening is required. During these moments, we must exercise ourselves both to be indistractable and undistracting. I'm going to resist whatever is competing for my attention, I'm gonna resist it. I'm also not going to present opportunities unnecessarily for distraction for those around me. So just a word about being indistractable. Um, before just about every sermon, I pray, Lord, deliver us from error. I don't wanna say anything that is wrong. I don't wanna say anything that's unhelpful. And I also pray, Lord, deliver us from every distraction. Remember in the uh, parable about the soils and the seeds, there's the bird that snatches up the seed. And uh, the Lord says, the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown. That, every single time God's word is read, distractions are everywhere. It, it just, why is that? Why does that happen? It's because, it's because Satan doesn't want you hearing God's word. There, there are multiple distractions, things to take your mind away. In the, um, in the screw tape letters, um, C.S. Lewis has the senior demon screw tape advising the junior demon Wormwood to make sure that his patient, make sure that the Christian is really annoyed in worship by the woman's obnoxious hat or, this, or his neighbor's squeaky boots. Like fixate on that, right? Um, be, be distracted by that. Whenever God's word is being read, there is a spiritual tug of war going on. A, a fight for your attention is going on when God's word is being read and declared. It, if you're sitting in a completely silent auditorium listening to a sermon or a lecture, you know how easy it is to distract yourself. They're listening you can make a shopping list, or you can worry about your bills, or, or you can think about what you're doing tomorrow, what you're eating for lunch. It's, it's easy to have your mind on a dozen other things. So when God's word is read and taught, the room could be entirely silent, and we still have to exercise and discipline our brains to tune in and focus. Actively, constantly correct our minds to stay on task. And so during a sermon, let's just assume a completely silent room. You're still going to have to work to, to pay attention. It helps to have your Bible open. It helps to follow along in the text. It helps to write down a few key phrases if that, if that helps you. Whatever you do to keep your mind on the subject. And when you feel your brain start to wander, you bring it, you bring it back on course. And if you're actively doing that, then 
If something distracting happens, you exercise yourself to ignore that. You exercise yourself to keep your eyes on the speaker. Focus on the one who's delivering the word or reading the word. If, if somebody comes in late, you don't everybody turn your head and watch them come in. You're, you're uh, not only distracting the speaker, you're distracting everybody else around you when the whole room turns and, and looks. You, you might glance and say, oh, yeah, that's whoever. They're always late. Okay. And then, and then you focus again. You exercise yourself. If, if a parent has to get up with, with the baby, don't stare at them the whole way. Uh, there are times where the whole congregation is staring at someone the whole way. And, and I stop. I stop because our who are we listening to? Are you ready? You ready to get back into it? And, and, I, and I'm, that's why I stop is because I'm trying to get everybody's attention back. Um, don't be distractible. Um, discipline yourself to ignore garden variety distractions. Of course, like the day when we had a crazy person come in, that's, you know, that's, that stops the show right there. We all got to stop and see what's going on there. I'm not, um, I, I'm not saying that, you know, it's stupid to you know, pay attention to a, what could be a threat. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm talking about garden variety distractions. We exercise ourselves to ignore them. If a baby is making sounds, uh, pray for the mama, pray for the daddy, pray for the baby. Say, Lord, please give that baby some rest. Speak to that baby by your Holy Spirit. And then focus back. Turn your brain back on what is happening. Uh, refocus. Um, it's some, for some of us, this is more difficult than for others of us. Some, some of us have uh, brains that focus on distracting sounds more than others. Some of you, it's very easy not to pay attention to this, but um, like repetitive tapping, um, sinus clearing, uh, clearing the throat, jingling change, um, um, you know, wrinkling paper. You have to pray for patience and deliverance and focus because your mind, your brain fixates on those things. And it's a war. It's a tug of war. Don't let the enemy win. It's a fight. Overcome the distraction and focus and exercise grace and long-suffering with the people around you. It's good for your soul. We must all be focusing and exercising ourselves in not being easily distracted. So be indistractable. But secondly, all of that is to say, put up your defenses, wear a bulletproof vest, hold up your shield against the distractions, but even more attention needs to be given to taking the bullets out of the gun. Take away the bullets of distraction. Because if I'm exercising myself and my children in not being a distraction, if I'm exercising myself in not distracting other people, then I'm eliminating the need for my brother to be long-suffering with me. <laughs> we all need each other's patience, but I don't want to wear on that patience. I don't want to presume upon that patience. So what is the baseline expectation of what is acceptable when God's word is being read and when the word is being explained and preached? What is the baseline expectation? Here it is. It's for everyone, big and small, big and small, to be sitting on their bottom, facing forward, and not making any noise. That, that's the expectation. When God's word is being read, I'm, in the participatory ports of the liturgy, it's a different story. There's, 
a lot of elbow room there. But when God's word is being read, it's for everyone, big and small, to be sitting on their bottom, facing forward, not making any noise. When we're training our children, that's what we're training them for, is to be sitting on their bottom, facing forward, not making any noise. And, and that's important to know that as a baseline because if you're doing anything other than that, if you're not sitting on your bottom, if you're not facing forward, if you're not being silent, you are the source of distraction to somebody else. You are distracting somebody if you're not doing that. You are introducing a distraction. Now, granted, sometimes those things can't be helped. Something emerges that dictates that I have to move. I have to take care of something. I have to respond. But the way we respond must be guided by that self-awareness that I'm distracting somebody right now, so I need to shorten this and make this as quiet and as quick as possible. I need to make sure that I eliminate this because people can see me and people can hear me. And so I must act to make this distraction as quick and as discreet as possible. So you quickly, discreetly eliminate distraction, which is why we encourage young parents of young children use, you gotta get here because there's some older folks that don't get it. And so they wanna camp out over here. And so we try to you know, encourage them, move, move other places. When my son was little, when my daughter was little, we sat in the back pew on the aisle, one foot from the door. And so when uh, they barked or yelped or a demon possessed them, uh, I could scoop them up, one, two, out the door and deal with it as quickly as possible. I guarantee you I did not sit right under the pastor with this baby who's fallen apart so that everybody could watch me process this child out of the room uh, so they could see me take him out. That, um, because I know everybody's watching and I know I've just got to take care of this. I don't, want, I, I don't want to be a distraction, but I have to. I have to get up and I have to take care of it. So um, um, taking care of it, I'm, I'm, I'm purposely um, being tongue in cheek, right? I mean, we're, 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 all, um, we're, we're all figuring this out and we're in a space that is not really helpful in a lot of ways. Uh, but if, if um, and I'm, I'm even trying to get my own daughter um, to, to move over there uh, so, that, so that she can make a quick exit, just a super quick exit, as, as quick as possible. So on this point, um, um, it's important to know, it's important to point out that it's not only children who are disruptive in worship. Um, I've known adults who are far more uh, distracting and ill-behaved than, than even a toddler. Some of these things should go without saying, but again, let's, let's establish a few expectations. One, when God's word is being read, when God's word is being read, and when it is preached, there is to be no talking, not from little ones, not from big ones, not from anybody. Zero. If you are talking, you are not listening. And, and the duty is to listen. If you are talking, you are not listening. And, and if communication is absolutely necessary, you can write a discreet note to your spouse. You can whisper quietly into a child's ear. But if you can be heard beyond your seat, again, whether you mean to or not, whether you mean to or not, if you can be heard beyond your seat, 
you are, you are communicating, I don't care what's being read, I don't care what's being said, I don't care about anybody else around me. What's more important than any of this is that I say what I wanna say right now. Um, and you're training your child to do the same thing. You're training, this is talking time. This is what it is, it's talking time because I'm talking. I'm the grown up and I'm talking and so this is talking time. Um, and, and even though you don't mean to, that's what you're communicating and that's what you're teaching them. Um, so there's this odd thing that always happens to me. I must have a sign on my back or a sign on my shirt that when I'm sitting in a lecture or I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm trying to pay attention, somebody will wander in late and they'll sit next to me and they'll start asking me questions. It's like, I'm listening to what's going on over here and now you're making a decision for me that I'm not gonna hear what's being said right now. I don't get it at all. There's no part of my brain that understands what that behavior is. Maybe you can explain it to me. It's the same kind of thing. Why would you buy a movie ticket and then talk through the movie? Those lines aren't important, I guess, maybe. I don't, I don't understand it at all. But if, if, if you are talking, you are distracting. Um, uh, chronic lateness is, is absolutely inconsiderate. It means that what we're doing here is not important enough to be on time. You don't care. You don't care about your brothers. You don't care about the disruption when you look for a seat and squeezing in. Repeatedly getting up and down is disruptive. Unless there is an emergency, the majority of children, I'm saying two, three and up, the majority of children, teens and adults, ought to be able to get up, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the majority of people, three and up, ought to be able to get through a sermon without a potty break, without a water break, especially if you anticipate needs. If you come early, you go to the bathroom, get a drink, find your seat, get everything you need. On rare occasions, it just can't be helped. Somebody has an emergency and you just have to take care of it. I'm not denying that at all. But somehow, there are children who always need to get up at the same time, every Sunday, and they need to go to the bathroom in the middle of the sermon. And, but there are other children who never need to get up. So what's going on there? My guess is that the ones who get up are just bored and they just wanna go do something else and they wanna be somewhere else. Um, we could, if I had a whiteboard, we could assemble a long list of obnoxious, and this is not about griping, this is not complaining, it's just making us all aware, what is the expectation? What, what's going on here? We could, we could make a list of distracting behaviors that adults and older kids do, mostly without thinking. I'm not assigning any contempt to this, I'm not assigning any motive to any of this, I think we do it without, without thinking. Like stretching your arms and yawning dramatically in the middle of the sermon. Everybody sees you and everybody knows what you're doing and everybody can hear you. Um, uh, knocking over those metal water containers every Lord's Day, every single Lord's Day. If you're even slightly self-aware, if you have even the slightest concern for decency and order, these things would happen one time and never happen again. It would never happen again. It, if, if I couldn't get through worship without my metal beverage container, and if my child sent it crashing onto the floor, I would be so mortified it would never happen again. It would never happen because I don't wanna be an agent of distraction. Um, so, when we have children in worship with us, we're training them in all these things, all their lives, toward this expectation. And what is the expectation? Is that they sit on their bottoms, facing forward, and that they're doing it quietly, and that we're modeling it for them. We're showing them what this looks like. 
we are working on not being distractible and not being a distraction for them, for their, for their growth and benefit. So we're not getting up and down, we're not being late, we're not talking, we're not making unnecessary noise. Babies are babies, and babies have needs. And babies require you to make all kinds of exception to the expectations. Uh, they are going to make noise. You will have to get up. You will have to attend to their needs. But this is toward a goal. We're, we're doing this... Uh, 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 with the view that they're not going to remain infants all their lives with infant-level expectations. And so as they begin to mature, they're able to worship with age-appropriate attention and participation. And just as soon as they can, you, they start to learn the responses and they learn the songs we sing, the ones we sing every week, the doxology, the Gloria Patri, the Sanctus, the Lord's Prayer. They start to learn these. They pick them up. They know when to raise their hands. They know when to close their eyes and pray. They know when to kneel. They know when to put the offering in the plate. They know when to take the bread in the cup. They know when it's time to not make noise and sit quietly. These are all part of what they grow up knowing. And as they grow, they, they, they merge into the full participation of the life of the body. And so the whole reason we have them with us in worship is so that they can worship. That's the goal. If we have a 12-year-old who's, you know, spending the whole service fidgeting and daydreaming and getting up and getting down to the bathroom and getting water, and he's sprawled out and he's making racket, have we accomplished anything by having him in worship his whole life? If that kid is a model of what we're shooting for, then we might as well just have children's church because he's not worshiping, right? He's, he's not participating. But if we're, if we're training worshipers, then we're going to have to be deliberate and purposeful about their training before, during, and after worship. And, and those are going to be the things that we talk about over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about the sounds that children make and how to, how to respond to specific sounds. We're talking about training at home even before you get to worship and then training in worship. We're going to focus on why we have um, children in worship and how we, how we train them in the midst of it. Uh, so that's the introduction. If you have any takeaway, it's that I'm going to exercise myself at being indistractable and not distracting, undistracting.